Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this really special edition of Freeman Means Business, Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and on our podcast, we love to amplify the voices of those women whose stories are meaningful, moving, and compelling. I am really, really excited today to have a longtime acquaintance. Hopefully, um, you know her. I'm sure most of my listeners do know of her. Lee Dance, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. I'm excited to be here. You bet. You bet. So of the 16,000 followers we have on social media, I'll bet most of you could quote the questions I normally ask. Um, I usually ask my guests about, you know, tell us about your education, occupation, community involvement, or maybe your proudest professional accomplishment, or who was your inspirational mentor? But in this case, on this very special occasion, with this woman that I am just so inspired by, or whom I am so inspired by, I think I'll switch it up a little bit. Um, she's remarkable. She's had a really colorful life and has a great story. So I think I'll start with Lee. What's your story? Fantastic. Wow. Um, I was thinking the other day that about gosh, 20 years ago, I agreed to do an interview for a French TV show in French about how Americans, Americans experiences, Americans that actually speak French. And uh, the first thing the person asked me was, if how, what would your canvas, the canvas of your life look like if you were asked? And it was so abstract, so typical French that I, and I was so caught off guard by it, that it actually was pretty complicated to answer. Yes with any coherence you can imagine. But really my story is, I think I was um, born sort of a very creative and driven person, um, very much supported by a wonderful tight family and um, had an international interest from when I was really little, probably because my father grew up partly in Japan and was born in Turkey, even though his family was from North Carolina. And um, also partly because my grandfather gave me dolls from various countries. He sold tobacco for uh, BAT, a sort of a Philip Morris type company, and uh, had traveled around the world 17 times during the 20s and 30s, something we wow. always heard about growing up. So I saw these little dolls and I always thought, well, so how would those people view my experiences and what are their experiences. And that really kind of stuck with me. So um, my approach to my career has been uh, a sort of a founding father's approach, which is that if you're working with the right people, you can really do anything. And I have huge curiosity. So um, I really have appreciated doing lots of different things. And my career has taken some different turns, even though it's been mostly independent. So I've worked on my own since, um, in, with my own consultancy since 1993. Wow. Um, Let me just say really quickly how amazing that background is. Um, obviously a lot in there I did not know, but I'll start with acknowledging the fact that that's one of the most difficult questions to answer, like you had uh, admitted with your interview years ago. It is so open that people are like, I don't even know where to begin. And you did a great job. Um, I'm fascinated that in that day and age, your father was able to travel the globe that many times. That's wonderful. What a, an amazing global worldview you definitely have. 
Um, so I just wanted to say kudos to your family for, you know, supporting that kind of uh, global experience. Yeah, well, I was just, um, I don't think I spoke about it much then, but I was really interested. My mother was an actress that gave up her career. She was on earliest television uh, and a model before that, but even though she was a very serious college student and uh, to teach theater arts um, when she became a mother. But my dad, um, and my dad went into business, but it was my grandfather that traveled so many times. And my my dad who told us stories because they would move around by boat most of the time. Wow. Um, so um, take these six months sabbaticals, that kind of thing doesn't happen anymore to expats. Yeah. So um, as you probably, as I think, you know, I did uh, my junior year abroad at 19. Um, I did not speak French very well. Didn't tell anyone at my university because I felt my, I was always a good communicator, but very bad at grammar. I never talked learned that young. So I went off uh, for a year in Aix-en-Provence, which was halfway between ski slopes and the Alps and the Riviera, and seemed like a perfect place to go to spend a junior year um, where I did learn French well. And about four years later was assigned when I was at J.P. Morgan Chase to work for two years, launching a whole new business in Paris. So amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So Emily in Paris right here. There <laughs> Not half as stylish, let me tell you. But, um, but it is, it is true. Uh, it's funny how, as a speaker, uh, you know, I've, that was my first experience of working with lawyers, a whole lot in uh, launching new products and services in new markets, and um, and really that's how I ended up getting going into more work with law firms because that was such a fascinating experience. But, Do you find um, working with lawyers different than working with business executives? Yes, um, I've worked both on the nonprofit side. So out of college, I worked for a nonprofit that was part of the League of Women Voters um, that helped uh, women yes. on development projects in the um, in the global south, what was then called the third world, and then went on to another nonprofit working with uh, diplomats that had 40 Fortune 500 CEOs as the board who I interacted with really often, including a former Secretary of State, George Shultz. And so um, I learned, I don't know, I, I felt that um, I found the ethics often not as good as in companies because there were fewer checks and balances. And, and I've often felt that I've been able to accomplish more of the, to, to sort of hold on to my integrity and to achieve my values with larger corporations than I have um, with within nonprofits and, and definitely law firms. Um, in law firms, sometimes I think people are just allowed to misbehave too much, but I did choose to work with lawyers and went into a law firm um, as a head of marketing and strategy from banking, one, because I didn't want to become a banker and they kept trying to make me into one. And second, um, because I, uh, that legal work, I really liked how lawyers use language uh, and proof yes. for how they do things. And um, often less politics, it depends on the organization, but often less politics, you can really move things with argument and, and language. And that really appealed to me. I studied argument and reason, and I understand exactly what you're saying. They're very strategic oh, in their communications. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say there are so many interesting things, Susan. I would oh. love 
conversation to have another hour where I could ask you oh. questions. Well, sure. Someday, someday. Today's yes. all about you, however. So I'm very impressed by, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a groupie, you know, I'm not one of these people that drinks the Kool-Aid and is easily impressed by, you know, bumper stickers, propaganda, and what you see and hear on the TV and news. Um, I'm very much a critical thinker. I check people out. I, you know, um, mm -hmm. and, and you're amazing. You're amazing. You are courageous. You are hardworking. You don't stop. Uh, you seem to be unstoppable and you still have a zest and a love for life. I followed you on Instagram and you're just really um, someone to, who makes me smile. You're someone who makes me think and someone who makes me smile. So that said, uh, what makes you smile when you get up in the morning? I love what you just said. Thank you so much. I, you know, I'm jumping around so much. And one of the benefits of an interview like this is that you stop the night before and say, okay. So how do I sum all this up? Um, so anyway, the in terms of what makes me smile when I get up in the morning, um, it varies, but generally it's the sun. It's opening my shades and seeing if there's sun or looking up at the sky and whatever is going on outside. I'm just a big a lover of nature and the sun means a lot to me and light, light in general. And the second thing these days, because I went through a whole period um, fighting cancer in 2020 during the pandemic and lost all my hair through chemo. And so these days with my hair growing back, that's the second thing that makes me smile is when I see myself <laughs> in the mirror and my hair is like uh like Einstein on crack or something oh but, god I can anyway. understand you're beautiful look folks I've seen her on camera she's remarkable and I can see what you're saying um let me ask you what's the significance of the sun does the weather and does nature impact your mood I maybe it's become more noticeable to me um, when I lived in Italy, you know, I was 15 years in Rome, spending most of the time there and about a third of my time in the US. And uh, my husband and I quit our when we got married a year after we quit our day jobs and started consultancies because we decided to live on both continents. And um, so that's how it all started uh, separate completely separate types of consultancies, but we were, we picked Rome as a place to live because it was a city that neither of us had lived in. And um, this was 93. So, and we had both lived in several European cities and, and him in, in New York. So European anyway, or American? He's hundred percent Italian. What is? Oh, wow. But he's my ex. Yes. So um, we spoke mostly French together, but I learned, I, I then, I took a sabbatical in my first four months in Rome and learned Italian and so speak. And then since we stayed on there, my daughter went from uh, kindergarten through seventh grade at a bilingual English Italian school. But in Italy, you realize the connection between nature and light and, um, yes. and man's impact. So uh, the beauty of the architecture as it combines with nature, there's so much beautiful nature in Italy. And I think that may be where I started to be so aware of light. Um, the light that uh, is for is projected even in the evenings on the monuments in historic Rome, where this is where our base was, is it makes you see things so differently. And um, and then moving to Brussels in 2010 as our Europe base. Um, it's almost like going into the dark because there's a low ceiling much of the time. It's, it would be a fantastic city and completely overrun with people if the weather was better. But um, 
I was aware because of the long winters, the low, you know, when it gets dark really early, uh, how much that affected me. Definitely seasonal affective disorder. I bought one of those lamps. And I was um, going to ask you about that. Um, I know I've never been to Brussels, but I know that a lot of the art, I studied art history and I too lived in, oh, yes. in Italy. And a lot of the art, um, I can't remember what they call it, chiaroscuro or something. Like yeah. Yes. Where they're, um, you know, it's very difficult to do that if you've ever painted folks. You know, it's very difficult to impart the light um, and the fractional lights that, that hit nature and hit people. And they did that beautifully in Italy in the art there. And that's when you were describing that, I, I mean, it's very open, it's very, everything's big, right? Spacious. Right. Um, so I can see how that gives you a sense of empowerment and, and bigness, you know, room, room to be uh, versus darkness and low ceilings. And um, so I love the way you described that. Uh, it's just amazing, amazing. And it seems to me like you're a risk taker. I mean, quitting your day jobs and moving <laughs> to Europe to consult and not knowing the language. Um, what an amazing story, an amazing journey. So tell me more. I just had to interject how impressed to get. How oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, no, I think, um, I, you know, I, th I was thinking about my characteristics that make, make my story what it is. And I think um, besides the drive, as you described, and I think I'm pretty courageous. Um, yes. I decided early on um, that I think I'm as insecure as many people in terms of questioning oneself, uh, often having doubts about things and trying to push. But I feel like I'm because my I'm so determined, I usually just follow through and I would just want to live an interesting life. I'm really curious and I'm determined and I have been since I was in high school and made a pact with a group of my guy friends. So um, but I think the other things are really being independent, which I think sometimes is hard on um, the men I've been with in my life, but I've yes. always found a way to find some balance. Um, I have, I'm also very sympathetic. I have a whole lot of empathy and a ton of loyalty, which you know can work as many qualities can work for you or against you. My creativity, I think has really helped when I've shifted my job, um, my jobs around. My consultancy was almost completely about helping uh, professional services or services businesses expand into international markets and then turn to almost wholly law firms and the whole bottom dropped out of that in 2009 when yes. lots of law firms turned inward during the recession and said no forget all the international stuff we've got plenty of stuff of work right here at home and my work just went away um, what, during that time my most rewarding work was with in-house counsel and I've always been most interested in um, the, the importance of general counsel, of heads of legal and compliance, uh, and the fact that they really are the keeper of the company's promises to its various communities, its customers, its employees, the regulators, and that they it was really a new world and they didn't have many means to connect with each other across borders. So general counsel within companies were sort of stuck within their legal frameworks. And that's what led me, I had already been working with um, Martin Del Hubble LexisNexis for 10 years on a program I started with them in 1999 called Council to Council. But then um, in 2010, 2009, I just thought I'm gonna flip my business and shift to doing work with 
the world's largest global companies and their legal departments. You know, that is truly what um, Darwin said is the key to survival. Uh, it's not the survival of the fittest. That is not what he said. He said it's the survival of those who can adapt. And that is what you did. You pivoted and you changed. And I think that's why I first heard of you is when you in what 99 at Martindale Hubble. So yeah, um, yeah, I haven't quite been a stalker, but I'm thinking I should have been. I missed no. out on a, quite a lot. <laughs> I can't believe we have never met face to face, Susan. But I think I it's because I was in Europe so much, you know, and I just I sort of stayed on the East Coast when I was back. Probably well, I learned to work remotely. I'm very happy to say, you know, twenty more than twenty years ago. So it's been a breeze for me that part of things, and I'm sure you're good at that as well. Yeah. Well, I will say that um, COVID did not. I didn't have to. You're right because I was already well versed with Zoom, and I started doing Zoom classes to teach other professionals how to use it because they were totally paralyzed. But um, your story makes me think I should have done more uh, international work, and and that is my goal now. So you do aspire me, and inspire me. I have a big question for you. You you sort of mentioned this, and it's a big deal. Um, I know for me, I've experienced trauma and traumatic events that were outside of my control and had to learn how to deal with that, which I cannot control. Um, you had cancer and I wondered, did that make you more secure? You mentioned being insecure and we all are to a certain degree at certain levels. Did that make you more self-actualized or more secure or centered, more centered? Um, yeah, well, it was probably what happened before that. Um, not so that I went into cancer with with a different frame of mind, but just just really briefly on the insecure comment, I think so often the way people are portrayed on social media as like these amazing powerhouses that never you know have any doubt and just go full speed ahead to, to you know get this done, get that done, and anyone who's listening <laughs> feels like um, they're not than. measuring up, right? Yeah, yeah, and and so you know during when I flipped my business, um, yeah, I think I was. I do think the key to growing and changing is adaptation and hard work. And I, but it was super tough for a while, just getting turned down and turned down and turned down at, um, and trying all kinds of new things with law firms. And then slowly then finding I could do, do it. And, and it really was, was only about a 20 month period before I had shifted from 20% wow. council work and 80% law firms to the opposite. I didn't realize that, but I think you made the wise move. Um, businesses are obviously more in touch with consumers and shareholders and more aligned with the temperature of the day. They're more progressive. And I, look, you can call me what you want, folks, but I've been in both worlds. And I can tell you with uh, credibility that, that you know, the business world is a much more. Um, it's a little think, easier to get nimble. Yeah, there's definitely law firms that are exceptions. Definitely, for and sure. And I call those and yeah, businesses yeah. of law for sure. There but are exceptions. On your on your talk about the trauma, um, so I had like a three year period before I was diagnosed with breast cancer where I had sort of a perfect storm of things happening. Um, my husband, um, besides this is really personal stuff, but besides our marriage kind of falling apart after twenty four years because he started having a 
he really fell in love with somebody else and kind of brought the whole thing into the house. Um, so talked about it all the time and asked me not to really be around much anymore. Uh, very odd, but a very typical Italian thing they to do. They call it a guma. Um, and then at the same time, my mother uh, became very ill and we initially thought she had um, only a few weeks to live after having been for eight years of my parents' elderly years flying back to the States every eight eight weeks or six to eight weeks driving to central Pennsylvania from Newark airport and staying, helping out all my sisters took turns. But my mom then, um, she was suspected of getting septus sometime soon, had had congenital spinal issues and just had a lousy end of her life. So she was in free fall at the same time as my husband when he couldn't decide between women and also lost all he is a very accomplished musician and composer in addition to being a nuclear physicist and my ex-husband um, and a great creator of many things was um, quite the musician. He lost all but 6% of his hearing and oh. couldn't hear himself play piano or do the one thing he had really focused his entire retirement on. He was, he's, he, um, my ex-husband is also more than 20 years older than me. So different stage of life, but he had a full psychotic breakdown while I was um, partly there at the house. And in fact, you know, I was just on my way to leaving and I thought I wouldn't leave my worst enemy in this situation. He's the father of my daughter. And, uh, but I had never been through a situation like that. It, um, through that, I experienced, um, really PTSD in many ways, sure. hard to describe. Um, he was diagnosed with psychotic depression and anxiety. Um, and, uh, eventually I, it got stabilized. But at that same time, um, we decided to sell our house we had had, like for me since 1990, uh, out here on the east end of Long Island. And I, uh, he couldn't go anywhere. He was in Brussels um, and was really dysfunctional in every possible way. Panic attacks like 10 times an hour, etc. So I, um, we put the house on the market and uh, we're told it would sell in a year. It sold in two days. And so I had to manage that project a large while I was running my business, while I was going to see my mother. So I averaged for three, two and a half years. I really thought I was superwoman and could just keep on doing all this stuff. And it seemed to be working pretty well. Um, but I knew that there was a, a risk that I would get something like cancer because, so I really was careful about nutrition and exercise, but still average for two years, uh, average of 12 days between transatlantic trips. I want to say that, um, I've been to therapy and I'm proud to say it. And I think everyone I know should be if they haven't, <laughs> um, any one of those major life events you would need an outlet and someone to process those feelings and thoughts and how to, how to behave and how can you uh, serve both roles as the victim and the hero to your husband while this is going on. And you're a compassionate person. I would have done the same thing regardless of judgments from others, right? So um, it's a cultural thing as well. I, I know I come from an Italian family, but um, what a crazy whirlwind before the cancer and you did touch on this right um, the so stress might have it. led you there right I think so I mean I got yeah. the first thing I did with um once things happened with my ex was that I got a counselor uh, because I just knew I couldn't go through it on my own so good for you and I and I also hired uh our former housekeeper nanny from Italy and had her come live 
in the house. So, because I knew I just had needed backup and uh, needed occasional breaks. And I also had to go back to my mom's really often during that time. So I did, I do think I did some of the right things. I think it was particularly hard on my daughter. I just have one daughter. She was um, at London School of Economics undergrad. It, you know, you put, I think it's tough for someone to see all that happening at once. And, um, and so, and also it was her childhood home that was being sold. We were ready to leave. So a lot to deal with, but um, I think, uh, yeah, I think I came out of it. I had a lot of support around me, my sisters, um, and I just learned that I was really strong. So you I are, you that are. That was the benefit of, um, well, we all are. And, and I think um, I felt grateful that I, when I got diagnosed with cancer, first, I was really angry. Uh, and second, I thought, okay, well, I'm ready. And I might as well see what this experience is like, because it happens to so many people, as we know. And I just thought, you know, let's see what I can learn from this. And it happened to be the pan right at the pandemic, which was both scary. And I got stuck in Brussels for 10 months, but. um, Which is when I met you, like literally, like I've known of you, but I met you then. You amaze me. And look, I know everyone has it in them, but they might go all their lives and and to their dying day without knowing they have that courage in them. So the combination you mentioned earlier of curiosity and courage is just incredible. And although we can't always help the, you know, physiological things that happen and our biology and that sort of thing, it's how you handle it. You're extremely resilient. Um, and I'm proud to hear you say out loud that you saw a counselor because it gives permission to other people not to feel shame in doing the same, right? So no. I, I mention it everywhere. I'm like, no shame in that. You think I'm awesome? Here's why. It took a village. <laughs> right. I had already done a mindfulness course and I did one again while I was um, actually going through all my chemo and then radiation treatments. It was nine months of treatments and I was too weak to fly back. That's why I couldn't come back during the pandemic. But, but I think what's interesting, you know, I just right away, first, it's amazing how people hold you up. And um, second, I was sad because no one could come visit me because of of COVID, but um, I called both of my biggest client projects and said, here's the deal. I really don't want anyone to know because I hate the idea of like having cancer as like on my forehead, like a big bandaid. Right. Everyone thinks of that first. I just wanted to go on with things to the extent I could, and I wasn't sure how it would work. And so I hired a freelancer to help me because after chemo, I, there were two or three days that I would not be as coherent. I couldn't really write things down well. Um, uh, chemo brain is a real physical ailment and, um, and in Belgian medical help, you get a, uh, our onco psychiatrist as part of, wow. right. So someone who deals just with psychiatric issues for people that are going through, um, in my case, breast cancer. So, um, I've been clean for 15 months and, um, Bravo. Yeah, so that part is really good. But both my my big project leaders said, Lee, we're with you. You do not need, I offered to scale down my projects. Um, and they said, let's wait and see how it goes. Um, I got myself a wig. <laughs> um, it was, you know, there's various things. So all through my calls, people love my new hairstyle. I was so worried because I have very curly hair. And I thought, well, it's not going to be like this one. <laughs> Why not try something new, right? <laughs> That's fun. That's kind of funny. That's really cute. Um, I will say this, that 
you sh I get it about being, you know, you don't want to be redefined as the woman with cancer when you've worked hard to become someone other than, right? You've been all these exactly. other things and you're right. Insecurities on the parts of others. Look, we live out of either fear or love. Those are your only two choices. And people often, most often live out of fear. And so when they see that they run from it, right? So you were totally normal and worrying about getting that label of cancer and then people running away. But I'm so refreshed and delighted to hear your story that your two big clients were like, absolutely not. We're here to hold you up. This is amazing. Do you know, this is amazing to me that they offered to say, do what you need to do and we'll still be here for you. That's, that's not common <laughs> to be honest. Oh, really? Um, I'm, that's good. Yeah, thank you for that. And I'm, I love how you sum things up. Sometimes I think I'm a good communicator on paper, but I do have a very short attention span. So sometimes I shift topics and it's so great to have you tie it all up. After you know why I, I do that? Um, because one, I want to acknowledge that not only do I hear you, but I understand you. And two, yeah. it's just a form of feedback to say, um, this is what I hear you saying. And it gives you an opportunity to correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, and it also gives the listeners an opportunity to gain further interest in something if they may have missed it or didn't understand what you're saying and they can, right. you know, learn more. No, your story is incredible. You're, you're brave on so many fronts. You're not labeled just the woman with cancer. You're the woman who's done so much, you know, some days I feel like I'm Sisyphus, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but then I look yeah. at you, look at you and listen to your story. And I'm like, yeah, she's amazing. This is courage personified. This is, this is fortitude and resilience. So, um, I'm, I'm so happy to share your story and I'm so happy that you're here, uh, to share it yourself. Right. So, um, big blessings, big blessings. Thank you. Well, is there anything else you want to tell me about your love of nature, your love of global travel, your mind shift from working with law firms to companies, because next I want to move to um, things that are fun, personal facts about you. Um, yeah. if you're ready. I would love to just say a couple things about the sure. passions at work right now. You bet. Um, I, when I was reading a couple of the questions suggested, you know, possible questions, one was what are, what absolutely excites you right now and over the weekend and of course late last week um what was exciting me was negative which was putin's attack on the on the ukraine um and on a global level how uh, completely destabilizing that is and the challenge we all have i think to to not just think about and feel bad, but to actually take action in some sort of a useful way. And I do think there are ways, including voting and making sure our elected leaders uh, are not completely rogue actors. But um, but beside from of that, the thing that absolutely excites me most right now really is working on the ESG movement. And it's something that I took on as part of my work with in-house counsel because general counsel of large global companies um, often the GDP or the gross revenue of their companies is greater than the GDP of many of the countries they're working in. And so they can, as advocates, as, gen as lawyers are trained to be, they can be absolutely valuable and integral to finding the solution around sustainability issues, social impact issues at a time when a company's brand is as influenced by um, what they stand for 
as what the services they offer or what they sell. Um, and then the governance that helps them to do the right thing. So I really started to get more involved in this around the time, like around Enron and Parmalat times, because the issues of reputational ruin were so fascinating to me, and I've written quite a bit about it. Um, but uh, the, I jumped on the whole ESG thing. And so with Global Council leaders, we prepared a very extensive report um, hired a research manager with an amazing background in this area, and then have done numerous roundtables on the topic with general counsel from around the world. And we're doing one that has about 110 people on it day after tomorrow, um, both with law firm leaders uh, attending, participating in many general counsel and, and other, a few academics, et cetera. Just really sum, summing up what some of the key issues for 2022 are. But I've, we published um, the first annual report on ESG for corporate legal and compliance leaders. It's, and that was at the end of 2020 for 2021. And then this year just completed uh, and launched at the start of the year, our 2022 annual report with a foreword from uh, the amazing Paul Clements Hunt, who's based in Kenya, who actually was one of two people at the UN that founded the term ESG back in 2004. Amazing. Um, I, I was so going to bring that up. This it. is this is a huge, huge accomplishment and contribution to this um, really difficult to answer question of how do we save this planet, right? So yes. I was going to bring that up. Folks, if you didn't really tap into everything she was saying. This is a, a, a first of its kind, and I will make it available on the blog that I write about Lee after the podcast. I'll share both. Um, you should definitely check it out as a meaningful resource. And if you're not, if you don't even know what ESG is, read it anyway, you'll get it. And if you haven't gotten it by now, get, get off your ass. Because um, literally, that, that's what I study, you know, it, in the Department yeah. of Engineering, we study a lot of that and uh, the science behind it and where we are. And obviously, California is a great example, a microcosm that you can look at the impact of, of, you know, climate science, which whether yes. you believe in it or not, folks, it's real, right? Um, that's so impressive, Susan, because I feel like I'm on the side you know, I, we need more scientists, um, yeah. definitely in law firms to really understand um, the environmental piece, especially as regulation changes. Look at what happened during COVID when the waters of Venice cleared and when the air in um, India, people who lived there all their lives had never seen the mountains because of the smog. And yet during COVID, two and a half years, you know, shut-ins, the air cleared and they saw mountains they didn't ever, had not known existed, right? Right. Incredible. Well, companies across the U.S. saw their emissions, you know, their, their footprint, carbon footprint drop by what, higher than what the climate, the Paris Agreement was expecting. Yeah. So it's just, I think it showed us that we can do this with major change. It's a pretty messy movement right now since it's becoming politicized politicized and also you know when tons and tons of different consultants and providers jump on the bandwagon and um it's organizations need to really pick two or three topics to focus on in a given period of time because it becomes overwhelming but it's sure. such a boost for the whole inclusion equity and diversity side of things 
Oh, so, I was going to say, it's much like DEI when um, you try to eat the entire Thanksgiving meal in one bite. <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. So I think it's amazing that you're uh, leading this charge, not just a part of it, but really uh, making strides to share fact-based information, not propaganda or politicized information. Um, you know, what happens happens to all of us. You mentioned the current state of global affairs, which is highly, I'm, I'm an empath, so I had to turn off the news, right? I have family involved. I have family from Ukraine, from Ukraine, the Ukraine side of things, and I have family from the U.S. military side of things. And it's just people who think this is like just political banter, you know, this, they don't understand history. Democracies have not been long lived, right? If you look at the history of democracies across the globe, they've not been long lived. So I am glad that you brought that up. It's, it's almost like the elephant in the room if we didn't mention that. I do yeah. also hope that our elected officials recognize that it's time to say no to their corporate sponsors and look at really what's happening in the world and our role in it. There's no way to silo ourselves, right? We can't separate just because we're across the pond or uh, you know, far from the other side, from Russia, that we're not impacted, we are. So I'm glad you brought that up. I just wanted to point that out. Uh, it's important not to ignore that. And had you ignored it, I probably would have brought it up. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm glad you did. Um, I also wanna say equally compelling is the case for ESG. So is the case for understanding the science behind um, what others are calling, you know, the boy who cried wolf or a panic right. for no reason. That's not true. It's, it's, it's happening. We see it. Uh, where I live, we experience, I'm in the heart of where most of that research is being done, at least in this country. And um, meeting with and hearing from people all across the globe who focus on this. And you tied it to DEI. Tell me how. Right. So come organizations have, the, there are three sides of things. There's the environmental part and sustainability. So to reduce um, each organization's impact on the environment including the products it produces, changing its business model to change those products, that's the E. Social, the S is for social, it's confusing to many, but it's everything related to what are the company's ethics and behavior on the key social issues of our time. So that can include, and companies tend to decide what matters to them most based on who their stakeholders are, whether their customers, their employees, uh, their shareholders, a whole different group on topics like Black Lives Matter, um, modern slavery, and DEI. And so one of the ways that companies will report their ESG performance, which drives how investors are acting today, just go on uh, BlackRock's website and read the latest uh, commentary. Um, it's this, this whole movement is first driven by investors who see that companies that have a good environmental, social, and governance uh, impact, that their strategy, their reporting meets their strategy, perform better financially. So the social piece is that organizations that have more diversity and greater inclusion of a more diverse group will be better performers. Let and me stop you there because I want to have you restate that comment about 
more diversity, but greater inclusion of a more diverse group. That key phrase right there yes, yes, is yes. important. Explain what you mean by that. Um, it's where the rubber meets the road. Yep. So um, you can hire many diverse people and I'm talking, you know, gender, uh, um, race, cultural race, yeah. um, sexual persuasion or however we choose to refer to it. But if you can't really use them and make sure that they have an equal voice and have psychological safety and the workplace to share what they know and how they see it then you really don't have an inclusive working environment. And to the extent that we can, and organizations that do do that, that have a greater gender balance, that have more people feeling like, uh, it's the key to engagement. Um, so more people feeling like their voice is heard, um, their great ideas come to the table and the company ends up benefiting from it. That's my entire dissertation to use data analytics to show the power of inclusion and how much more powerful inclusive diversity is than simply checking the box. That was a beautiful way to put what my life's work is and, and I devote every waking moment to that. And thank you for saying that. I think a lot of people don't understand that. They're still in that, oh no, my shareholders told me we don't have enough uh, diverse, meaning race or gender, uh, which, we know diversity means much more than racial identity or gender identity. On our boards, we better hire some women or some people of color or specifically some black people. And that my friend has been, I think that's worse than you know to hire people and not include them and amplify their voices and listen to their ideas and give them a seat at the table is worse than not hiring them in the first place, right? So- Yes. Um, and yeah. we should promote them too, you know, sure. so often, often there's lots of talk about sourcing more diverse people, but then there's, I think some of the big impact is being made by, um, by helping get them promoted and helping guide and having different ways of viewing. I mean, for example, um, interestingly, Susan, and I'll take the example of KPMG UK in the UK, they decided that they would include um, sort of measurement of increased social mobility that they provide within their organizations by bringing, by hiring and developing more people that um, come from backgrounds with less means. Yeah. So it's a wild and very, was somewhat controversial at first because people thought like, how are you going to prove that? And in fact, the general counsel takes that very seriously, but it is, you know, we have to have leaders at all levels of our organizations, definitely including law firms, helping people to, um, you know, to embrace, cherish, and value all the different people that we have in our organization. Otherwise, you know, diversity is just like, I don't really, I don't understand how you can separate the two personally, but. I, I agree. I see it all the time where it's about um, not a, a senior, a C-suite person might um, not understand the business case and that needs to be the argument made to that person because he or she is in and usually he in a position to focus purely on the business case but because of shareholder outcry might understand or claim to understand the values case um, but I don't see how you could separate those really if you're if you are a um, a business for good 
<laughs> and not evil, right. then you can't separate those. I mean, the way that you beautifully explained ESG, we, we'll get to the G in a moment, folks, but the E and the S, I want people to understand that equity through inclusion is inextricably linked to ESG, right? So the, you Absolutely. can't have DEI separate from ESG. It's just not possible if you know what you need to know. Well, and because their boards, you know, along with cybersecurity boards of yeah. directors and investors are really focused on the ESG thing, um, it I think it gives a lot of power to the DEI movement to be able Absolutely. to do that. So that it's a it's a really a good leg up. What I think is more challenging now, and and um, I'm on the leadership team as a partner, uh, still external, uh, of D DXC Technologies legal team. They're a Fortune 150 company that is going has the legal team is really at the uh, front edge of digital transformation, really advanced. But as they move to um, more of a remote working environment, uh, which they have been doing for quite a while, we're focusing a lot on how how to lead in a way that's um, that is both inclusive and human when you're working remotely. And and I'm really proud of a couple of workshops we did last well three or four last year on these topics, including um, practicing inclusion when working remotely, uh, because there are tips and skills you can use. So people, would you, you don't share a couple of those now? Because I was going to ask you how how do you do that. Uh, I'm asking for the audience, but you might, um, if you're if you're okay with that, would you share one or two tips on how to be more inclusive while working remotely? Right. Well, one of the things is when you do Zoom calls or whatever sorts of calls that you have, that you um, make sure to include not just the people who always talk, and that. Um, the leader should be practicing empathy in their communication. So they really try to reach out to people, let them know what is challenging or difficult about working remotely, I'll find out what others, so there's more open communication. But often a good way to get people that usually don't speak up, and maybe because they don't feel like their English accent, I mean, their foreign accent is too strong in English, it may be gender related, um, all kinds of reasons, but is to, ask three or four people in advance if you wouldn't mind making a comment about blank. And oh my gosh, that's a great tip. Um, <laughs> I teach inclusive leadership and I've never shared that. So that, that thank you. I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. And then you, cause though you don't put them on the spot right. at the moment, um, or you could say, are you okay if I ask you a question about this or would you rather a different question? You know, so there's just, they're, they're ready. And then if you model that, I also think um, like we've made a really big effort on our, on our all hands, like town hall meetings, which are now twice a week where the entire global legal team is on a call. And that's like almost 600 people. Um, we, uh, we really feature people at all levels of the organization from all different organizations, uh, all different parts. Uh, so lawyers don't make up the whole legal team. There's lots of other legal professionals. Sure. So that's part of where discrimination can happen. You know, are you a lawyer? Are you in legal ops? Are you a tech person? Um, it's amazing. Uh, but so we get to see these people and have them tell their stories and all, often work in you know, a little bit about a day in their lives so that there's a human aspect that keeps us connected and respectful um, and inclusive. We've also done cross-cultural sessions on understanding 
language and how some things mean different things so that we work better together across cultures in terms of inclusion uh, and, and that sort of approach. And I think other organizations are doing some of those same things, especially on inclusion. Accenture has done, as you probably know, Susan, I loved like four years ago, their tagline was inclusion starts with I of their whole movement. Right. And, um, and then organizations like GE that have gone so far because of Alex Dmitriev, I think, on practicing um, really understanding about unconscious bias and how that affects our thinking in so many ways and having training on it. You are sharing my vision, mission, and <laughs> not my strategy yet, but you're right there. Um, I will say this, that even for my husband, who's a former military leader, he in the um, now in the municipal setting has learned to, during COVID, instead of start the meeting with the, the agenda, it's how are you doing? How are you handling things? Are you having to teach kids at home? It's much more, uh, we're, we're redefining what professionalism looks like and, and should, we should be doing this because professionalism yeah. is rife with bias. I mean, if you're not in the dominant group, then you're not heard, right? So um, he has carefully incorporated a lot of uh, empathy and questions uh, to open the meeting which was not his style before COVID, I'll just say. It was more um, hierarchical, you know, dictate what needs to be done, delegate what needs to be done and move on. Now it's more uh, transformational leadership, inclusive leadership. And so I'm so happy to hear your description of what that looks and sounds like. Um, very good tip. I wrote that down. Um, I'll think of a couple more and send them to you, Susan. And, you bet, um, you bet. So I should impressive. have you on a webinar. So impressive that your husband could make those, um, you know, is just was willing to and, and managed to make those adjustments. It's powerful. Well, he's um, secure in himself, number one. Uh, and if you ever read about us on Facebook, he's not on Facebook. So you hear the stuff I say, he has to be secure in himself, <laughs> the stuff that I share. But number two, he is, um, he has EQ which as you rise oh, up the ranks in the military, you're encouraged to tap into that. But, you know, as the lower ranks, you just do what you're told. You don't need EQ, but um, yeah, it, it's not easy. And I use him as an example, Lee, because he is what looks to be, um, he used to be the COO of an energy company. So he, he is what looks to be uh, the quintessential old white leader, owl, you know, the, the ones that think they know it all, that's not the way we've ever done it before. Uh, you know, this is how we do things here. And if you don't like it, leave, you know, he looks to be that, right. He's very, he looks very military, my way or the highway and he's not. So I say that because it's sort of a, um, I don't know. It's, it's a, um, people have visual bias, right? Exactly. Thank you. Um, it's, it's sort of a, a, it messes with your mind when you hear kindness come from his, um, you know, his mouth when he, right. You wonder, is that authentic? Right. right. I think, and that's, you know, um, quantified communications, which is an organization I think so highly of that has found a way to quantify, um, how to help people improve how they present on all different scales using AI. They, um, they, they have a whole, did a whole study with Harvard on effective communication in the time of the pandemic and empathy and authenticity are two of the top three things to help keep people engaged. 
And when you put that together with um, the great resignation, which is a real thing, at least from the organizations I work with, I hear it everywhere. Um, it really matters to be able to keep people engaged. And luckily it's like a double win because it helps also for inc to include people more. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, that's a lot of the work we do around measuring inclusion through using sentiment analysis and um, oh, that's you know, AI, um, natural language processing. It, it's very powerful. And, and I think that companies are more inclined to be open to that kind of message. So it's good to know that it's starting to gain some um, hat tips and some traction. Um, let's go on to this. I want to ask you more about what you like if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about your life, personal or professional, what would that be? Like, what would you want tomorrow to look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm right now, what I would love to have is more of a sense of community. I have a sense of community that's sort of far flung around the world because I have a very big network of uh, in-house legal leaders and um, and friends, uh, both from my education and from the places I've lived. But I don't, because we've moved and we're living lives between two continents, you can imagine, and I was on the road a lot of the time, I'm now settled more in New York. And I, it really matters to me to have a sense of community. Uh, my family, my parents always did. And so um, I'm actively working to make that happen. So that's Lee, totally I wish I had known that I didn't realize you were in New York uh, right now because I just got back last week. I would have carved time to meet you for a glass oh, of wine. Yeah, so but I'll be two back. hours out of the city. I'm by the beach out on the east end of Long Island. So I had a um, friend come in. I would come in. Island. I would come in to see you. You bet. And I would go to see you. Look, I've never been to Long Island. I've been to New York a million times, but um, this friend drove from Long Island to meet us for, um, brunch at, I'm trying to remember Stephanie's. Is that a, is that a place for brunch in the city? I don't know. Um, where, oh, in the city. I don't, um, anyway, I, you know, I'm not in the city that much, but yeah, she sure made there are many people who are listening that would have good advice for you, but nothing comes to my mind right away. That's okay. That's okay. I will be back in New York. We've made a commitment to go twice a year at least. And then with business, I, I had a few business meetings while there. Um, it looks like I'll be going more often. So I'll let you know well in advance so that we can schedule a get together. That's perfect. That's perfect. Well, yes, I'm so far. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I think um, that I'm trying to um, also keep the resolve I had on focusing more on myself um, yes. rather than always, I'm, I do this, I kind of add on rather than subtract things because I'm also doing a lot of various community service things and, and, and my business uh, gives back in many ways, um, very specifically like half the profits of the ESG report um, go to three different charitable organizations. I pick different ones every year. And did, I also did that with the book I, I wrote and published in 2009, where we gave all of the profits to pro bono, um, to, pro, to various pro bono uh, organizations. But um, so, but I think a little more time for myself to end. So I schedule in uh, to my schedule, the things that, that matter to me a lot, like riding my bike to the beach, 
Um, you've seen that if you're yeah. following me on Instagram, how important that is to me. And um, and then the arts. Uh, I can't wait to get back into New York theaters. So those kind of things. Nice. Very nice. You know, you must have read my mind because when I said, well, let me ask you. And then I said, go on. I was going to say, what do you do personally to nurture yourself? Right. So community mm-hmm. is a broader um it's a, it's a form of self-care, but it's broader. You're caring for others as well. And, and so I was going to ask you that and you, you went right there. It was beautiful. Um, yeah. I will say we went to Moulin Rouge and it was phenomenal. We, we were, oh, in a, yes, it was a packed house and it was the most exciting um, musical. And I've seen many all over the world. I've seen musicals, I've seen plays, I've seen all, all kinds of great Broadway shows in New York. And this was probably the most moving and and I wondered why and I think it's because we know so many of the songs but the lighting and the effects and the costumes and the it's just it was unbelievable so I highly recommend you you get in there oh that's good I'll have to get tickets I did just get tickets for something um the renewal of the life at New York City Center which I love and I do go go see dance performances often with my last name I'm I'm very much into dance. Um, the other thing I didn't mention, which is probably the biggest thing, personal thing, is that I, you know, I, it's wild to have been married for 24 years and then refined your place in the world. And um, I've been an ex, you know, for two more than two years now. So I'm really hoping to find a relationship, um, a companion, fall in love, all of those good things. So working at that too. Oh my gosh. I am going to start looking. I have a network of (laughs) remarkable people and you are so, I don't know if they deserve you, but you are so deserving of love and you are beautiful. And I'll tell you when I went through what you went through in that realm, it took me five years of meditation, focusing on my then infant child um, before I would even entertain the thought of having a cup of coffee with someone. Uh, so bravo to you. I mean, I'm 55. I mean, I'm not young. So if this happened, which it won't again to me, I would be like, I don't know. I don't know. So that's quite courageous. And I will, um, check my vast network for people who are deserving. Oh, thank you. You know, it's, it's scary to some people when you're all of a sudden, they picture you, I think, to other people. So it's funny how a lot of friends don't, that makes them nervous or something like no. or someone's husband. It's the oddest thing. But um, but at a time like now, you know, you just have to go. I have to really push myself because I'm an introvert into the online dating thing. And um, how's you know, that? How's that? I mean, uh, tell me more about that. <laughs> I, well, so many, a lot of my close friends, I'm sure many of you know, Ann Lee Gibson, who's yes. one. Well, she met her husband online. I know one of my assistants, who's my favorite, uh, Marilyn Hoyle, she met her husband online when she was working in London. And um, uh, so I think it's the way to do it now. I just think it increases your chances. I have to say out here, I there's I haven't I may have to come into New York to be it's just sort of hard to find. My daughter's always telling me you're way too particular. Um, and, uh, but then on the other hand, when I show her something, someone that I'm going to maybe have a coffee with, she's like, mom, that person doesn't look good enough for you. So, um, <laughs> so we'll see. It's, um, so far it's kind of been sketchy, but, um, or hit and miss, but I think it also is just good to go. Yes. Uh, 
because it gives you practice, you know, because like you say, it takes a while to be sort of ready. to Yes. Make that and it's a way to meet other people and to see how the dating scene has changed. And I will say this, you're never too picky. All right. Especially when it's not your first rodeo, <laughs> like you can never be too picky. Um, so exactly good, good for um, you. And then when she, she reads those things, good for her for being protective of mom. Um, you're <laughs> one fascinating woman. And I can imagine that when you, you know, put yourself out there that you'll attract a five-star person in your life. So you're so nice, Susan. And I, I know I didn't ever think to ask you, but I'm sure you'll be able to help me because you're the most amazing networker and matchmaker of all kinds. You know? <laughs> I've been accused of being a collector of people, then a connector of those people. So yes, um, that's yeah. a great, yeah, I get the connector part on a um, cross-border level, which I really am proud of. And I'm yeah. sure yours, yeah. You bet, you bet. Nothing to be fearful of, my friend. The world is all yours, right? So yes. you're an amazing woman. I'm going to be bringing this conversation to an end, but you fascinate me. And because I love to read, I want to know what you're reading uh, or what you would recommend for me. You know the things that I appreciate. Um, so what would you recommend? Do you have any good oh, Wow. I have to think about it because I... Um, yeah, my, I, I change from time to time based on what novel I'm reading. I've been trying to read some of Doris Lessing um, recently because I didn't hadn't read enough of hers. But I, I'm in a poetry reading stage right now. Nice. I love poetry because it brings things down to concise points. And so um, I, there's a Blood Axe. It's a UK publisher, but you can get the book here they have a couple of anthologies that I think are brilliant. And right now I've been spending a lot of time on both of them. One is called Being Alive and the other is called Staying Alive. And they're just different poems, often wonderful translations of, of great poets that are very, to me, many of them are very accessible. Some of them are humorous. Anyway, that's what very I would Very nice. Very nice. So Lee, and my audience already knows this, but Lee, I'll be putting um, all of this into a blog as well as the audible, the audio of our conversation into the blog. And we call it a blogcast, which um, I thought I was the person that came up with that term, but then I later found it had been used before. Um, but we will share the blogcast on my website. Um, now I have two companies. One is Freeman Means Business, and that's what I do for a giving, not for a living, but for a giving. I'll put this blogcast up on that website and then I'll share it with my entire network. I'll tag you on LinkedIn so Thank that you, you can reshare it. But if there's anything you think of that we didn't discuss, feel free to email it to me and I'll populate the blog with it. And um, people can click hyperlinks and get to know you better and be sure to send me your uh, contact information. I think you prefer email and I'll put your LinkedIn uh, link up there if you're okay with that. Uh, anything yes. else we need to know on how to reach you? <coughs> uh, no, I mean, I can always, if you send me an email, I'll always share my phone. My The challenge is for me that I'm, I travel often to Europe and elsewhere. So it's hard. I don't use, I use different phones in different places, but Understood. Um, that sounds so la-di-da, but um, it's not no, really. No, it doesn't. You know, the practical <laughs> of that, the practical side of that is because you travel so much, 
people might call you thinking it's 6 p.m. Right. Long Island and here you are overseas. So no, I get that. I, I wouldn't share my phone if I were you. So email it's is- It's been better. a real pleasure and I would love for anyone to reach out and um, and just fun to talk, to be able to talk a little bit about the things that mean a lot to me. So thank you very much, Susan. You bet. I'm thinking of inviting you to a webinar for, for clients and network and just getting- my world to know you better because you are delightful and brilliant and wonderful and courageous and strong and resilient all the things and beautiful my goodness well i think there <laughs> are so many women out there that deserve to be lifted and and supported and i make it my duty and all of us must to do that you know not just with women but with all kinds of people in need as i can tell susan that you are doing as well well, thank you. And thanks, folks, for tuning in. If you have any questions, you know where to reach me. If you want to reach Lee, I'll make sure her contact info is in the blog. Lee, have a great day. Thanks. You too. It's All sunny right. here, so that's good news. <laughs> there you go. Let the sunshine in. Yes. Have a good day, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.